As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And we've had a bit of a Hollywood theme, haven't we, to this in recent weeks with Andy's Italian friends and random mentions of Julia Roberts. And it feels like that's not going to change anytime soon with United playing Wrexham in pre-season. We'll get to that in a minute, but I need to introduce you to our cast for today. So we've got our cartoon hero, Carl Anker. <laughs> Bosch. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, housewife's favourite. <laughs> Andy Mitten? Grandmother's favourite. Oh, maybe these days, yeah. And our teenage heartthrob. I've been very generous there. <laughs> Hello, Laurie Whitwell. Oh, wow. Wow, very generous. Can I have a selfie, please? Not been 20 years since I've been a teenager. <laughs> I was actually uh, amongst teenagers yesterday because I went back to my old college, Aquinas in Stockport, to do a little bit of a talk about my career, which was lovely. Uh, but yeah, it did make me feel very old in the circumstances. So yeah, definitely no, not them a teenage all to nurses, doctors, um, <laughs> anything other than football journalists. Basically, <laughs> yeah, anything but a journalist. <laughs> the one that gets me when I do a school visit is just how tall teenagers are nowadays. And you're quite tall, Carl, as well. I didn't have my growth spurt until... You know, sixth form, whereas now the average, you know, I did a talk to a bunch of year eight, year nine students and they were, I was all like, you know, nearly eyeball to eyeball with them. Wow. One of them walked up to me after I gave the talk and just went, how much is your net worth? I went, what? And he goes, well, you're a sports journalist and like, I want to know what your net worth is before I decide becoming a sports journalist. So how much is your net Should worth? Should have just said, mate, I live in the uh, 33rd floor of one of the biggest <laughs> towers in the country. Next question. Uh, Andy, I imagine you're more likely to be visiting nursing homes and schools these days, or am I being unfair? I think you've been very unfair. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what role Ian is. If we're if we're all these cartoon characters and housewives favourites and teenage child, what what what's Ian in this circumstance? I mean, he's the director. <laughs> is he is he the one action pointing us in different directions? Lights, camera. <laughs> I did that in the wrong order. I couldn't be a director. <laughs> you might be wondering why we've started talking about random Hollywood-related things, but you will have probably seen that United are playing Wrexham. And there was that, um, I think you called it Curious, Carl, and I think that probably is quite accurate video between the owners and Sir Alex Ferguson, who <laughs> didn't seem to get a speaking part. It was made for an audience that might not include me. Do you remember the 2015 16 season where United had kept doing all these weird trailers because they were had a partnership with 21st Century Fox. Yeah, I remember. Do you remember that red wine advert with Wayne Rooney as well, which always sticks in my yeah, yeah. Uh, Castel Diablo. The X-Men advert where the United players yeah. were members of the X-Men uh, and they did that one with Independence Day. I remember watching those going, my team used to win Champions Leagues. <laughs> uh, Am I allowed to say I liked the advert? You're allowed to you, say that, yeah. You might be wrong, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I liked it. I just, I, I thought it was quite nice, and you could see where it was going, right? From yeah, about like five sort of seconds in, and we still and... watched it two minutes yeah. later develop. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, but I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I liked it as well. It shows how the pre-seasons are changing because 
Each of the games are now being announced individually. That didn't used to happen. Each of them are surrounded by hype. And if you've got two Hollywood stars involved in your club, then it's probably natural to do that. It's only 10 years ago that the Manchester Evening News wasn't even sending a correspondent on a pre-season tour to the United States. They've become much, much bigger now. And one thing I think I should mention is the ticket prices for that Wrexham game. I think they're an absolute scandal. I think they're disgraceful. I think Manchester United members or fans who travel over will pay $65, okay? But I looked yesterday on the ticket site, and $200 for Manchester United reserve team against a non-league team. I get that the demographic is very different to who'd be watching the game in the UK, even behind closed doors, since that was the last time Manchester United played Wrexham was behind a closed doors match. But I think we should talk about, or, or certainly mention, those, those, those ticket prices. And they're selling really well. Now, no one's forced to buy those tickets. I get that. Mm. But I was really struck by how high they were. Yeah, it does seem high, that actually, doesn't it, in fairness? And you saw on the poster as well, so you've got like Copy Mino and, and Dan Gore, I think, on the poster. So it's, it's, and, and they've said it's going to be a youthful side, haven't they? So they're not they're not sort of selling it as like, you know, all singing, all dancing, Man United first team, because I think they've got a few games on this tour in quite a short space of time. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, a point worth making, Andy. Um, and just one, one more thing on the on the Fergie video. I mean, he, you know, he basically stopped United getting a Twitter account until he retired, <laughs> right? And now he's sort of starring in these kind of fun you know, sending himself up uh, sort of comedic adverts for a pre-season tour game. So I suppose, you know, even Alex can get on board with modern technologies. Yeah, if you're bored in retirement, you'll do anything, won't you? (laughs) Yeah, true. Let's get to it then. We need to mop up the news from the internationals that took place this week. We're going to speak about the future of some of United's stars in that. And we also need to look ahead to the April shower of fixtures in the Premier League, Europa League and FA Cup, starting with the trip up to St. James's Park this Sunday. And that could well be the trip that our Spanish Slayer makes this summer. Andy, first of all, how did that go down in Spain? Because uh, it was really bad, wasn't it? Rubbish, you might call it, if um, you were on the other <laughs> side of things. Sorry, Rodri. <laughs> Terrible result for a new manager. A new manager who's never coached professionally, never managed in La Liga and needs allies. And you don't win allies by losing against Scotland, who are seen as a second or third tier European team. So... It was panned by the Spanish media. Of course, Luis Enrique left after after the World Cup. I still think Spain would be favourites to qualify. And you can get away with one defeat, but if Scotland were to win in Spain, whoa, then managers lose jobs after results like that. But I think got to credit Scotland. Great result. Hamden looked like it was absolutely bouncing. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the main man, Scott McTominay. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic for him. Carl and Laurie, you've been very busy writing up an article about his Manchester United future. That'll be nice for Scott, scrolling through his phone as he arrives back at Carrington on cloud nine after scoring four goals across the international break. It's interesting though, you make sort of several points together uh, and separately about how there is sort of a conflicting thought about what happens with Scott's future heading into the summer. Laurie, what do you think the most likely outcome is for McTominay? Ooh, I really don't know. Um, because in January, Newcastle made an inquiry about him. Um, I think Eddie Howe's a big fan of his. Uh, and particularly midfield for what they need, he would provide them with something different and that kind of energy, that drive from midfield that we saw against Spain, you know, arriving into the box at the right time and finishing first time um, to score those two goals. And he's done that for United, you know. You remember those Leeds games where he would do that, um, you know, sort of seemingly at will. Um but so, so, but at that point, Ten Hag said, "No, I want to keep him." And clearly, you know, he's needed him because he then had the injury to Christian Eriksen and Donny van der Beek's been injured as well, and Casemiro's been suspended a lot. So, um, yeah, that choice was was correct. I mean, clearly, it'll be something that gets addressed again in the summer. And you know, we've, we spoke about the kind of financial fair play regulations that United might be conscious of, and 
they need to get better at selling players at the right moments. He's 26. He's got a couple of years left on his contract. So you could get a good value for him, I think. Um, but does does Tenag... I mean, my, this is the debate that me and Carl had. And I came down on the side of, I see all the points about why you might sell him. And is he good enough for United to be playing week after week in a title winning team? I don't think so. But does he offer something different that, you know, maintains the spirit of the club? Because he, you know, he, throughout... Oligan Solskjaer's tenure, Jose Mourinho's tenure, Ralph Ranić certainly, where it was there was you know there was disaster, turmoil, turbulence. He was the one, not the one, but one of the players that would always maintain professionalism, say the right things, and and, and try hard all the time. And I know that sounds like a really simple thing, but when you've got a manager like Eric Ten Hag who is basing his whole sort of um, doctrine on discipline. Uh, having someone like McTominay that can kind of have those little words with teammates that so that Tenag doesn't have to um, really buys into you know I mean, so for example he did the you know thirteen point eight k run after Brentford and McTominay's there at the front of the pack you know as you'd expect <laughs> it's like got a ridiculous ten k yeah it's surprise to nobody yeah so I, I just come down on the side of, of actually he he sort of fulfills a really important role in the team. And, you know, it'll be, he's not, I sense maybe from his interview, I don't know if we'll play it, but after the game that, you know, maybe he's he's itching to play more, but I do think that he's someone that would accept, would understand that rotation in and out of the team coming in for specific occasions in the way, and Carl, I know you're going to roll your eyes here, in the way that sort of Darren Fletcher did, (laughs) Uh, but also John O'Shea. I mean, both, both those guys played over 300 games for Man United and, and got, you know, won titles, uh, got to Champions League's finals, playing, you know, starting, you know, a lot of the time. And, but it was because they were in a structured system with players around them that were of high quality that they could kind of, you know, bounce off and, and obviously bring their own merits to the table as well. So I don't know, I, I kind of see McTominay that. And I, 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 yeah, I'm not somebody that says you've got to keep these kids around. It should be all academy players in the United first team. But I just feel like, with him, he's got that resilience, that that sort of spirit and character that I think United should just keep hold of a little bit longer. It is an important factor, definitely. I thought it was an interesting um, stat, or a couple of stats in the piece as well, to say that he made tackles at the same rate as Casemiro with a better pass success rate, which might speak to him taking less risk. Yeah. But it certainly speaks about the level of quality. Um, Carl, before I get your take, let's hear from McTominay then, speaking after slaying Spain. Yeah, obviously, you have to set high expectations for yourself in football. You can't go into games thinking, oh, I hope that I do well and stuff like that. You have to go in there believing and manifest it. And I spoke to the manager before the camp and it was a funny one because he actually said, I feel like you're not playing with a smile on your face. I feel like I want to see the smile come back out of out of you. And that was the first day that I arrived. And I was like, do you know what? He's right. Like the, the smile does need to come back on my face. And I need to start enjoying football and playing like a like I love it, which is hard whenever there's a lot going on and stuff like that in, in your life and stuff. But... Yeah, whenever he said that to me, I went back to my room and I thought, you know what, he's, he's hit, the, hit the nail on the head there. And I went back and just concentrated, got my head down on football and, and that's all I need to do. Carl, it's hard not to sort of empathise with, with McTominay, listening to him there, especially when he sort of references the smile not being on his face. But bite back at Laurie, what, what do you think about McTominay's future? Where should it lie? Uh, oh, first of all, I want to apologise to Scott McTominay. Uh, <laughs> I'd say... For his first couple of seasons, I said and thought some very mean things about him, not due to his own talent, but due to the fact that it looked like he was Mr. Mourinho's teacher's pet uh, in that weird Cold War that was going on with Paul Pogba. In that weird way that you get presented with random candlesticks at end of season awards dinners as well. Yeah, right. So you got that going on. The the nil-nil draw against Sevilla that led to eventually the football heritage talk. McTominay seemed like he was in the team, not because he was good, but because he did what he was told. Uh, and it looked as if Mourinho was was using him as a, see, Pogba, this player is nowhere near as good as you, but I'm putting him in there to prove a point to you. Um, interesting thing is Mourinho didn't actually play McTominay anywhere close to how we remember him. And then, you know, you watch him develop through the seasons and go from being a you know lanky 21-year-old to filling out a bit to now being 26. And McTominay is a Premier League standard midfielder. I think he's not a number six. And the problem we've had for two or three seasons is that he's been in that McFred partnership and he's been the deepest midfielder. Uh, but as we've seen against Spain and we've seen against Leeds, especially those games against Leeds, McTominay's at his best where he has space 
and he's driving with the ball. He's making like entries into the box. He's a, I think he could be a very good attacking box to box midfielder for a team in, in the bottom half or a team that's trying to play in the Europa Conference League places. The problem is he's at Man United. And when you're at Man United, you need to have more than top professionalism, great athleticism, and a half decent side footed pass when you're not being pressured. So I know there's been a lot of comparisons to Darren Fletcher. Me and Laurie go back and forth about this. I'm going, no, Fletcher was far better than this. McTominay is closer to another Darren who used to play for Manchester United. Um, and I, I just think if McTominay wants to be the player that the pro McTominay people think he can be, he probably needs to leave Manchester United to get the game time and prove it. Um, one good example of McTominay being good for a little bit and then quickly not being good is the Europa League final against Villarreal, right? So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer packs that squad full of attackers and they're all getting congested by Villarreal's man-marking technique. It leaves a little bit of space for McTominay. He looks to have a pretty good 20 minutes for United. And then Unai Emery just tweaks the man-marking system and, and shuts down McTominay. And I know we talk about Darren Fletcher's good games. I know we talk about John O'Shea's good games. I mean, know we talk about, oh, you know, if McTominay come through on Alex Ferguson, that had been, things would have been different. And the way he was captain in the FA Cup game against Watford, you know, the story told about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer almost giving him the captaincy with a wink and a smile. He has all the things you want in the dressing room for a United player. But I think for United to get back to that level of being competent and good and, and playing Champions League quarterfinals in the way they used to on the Alex Ferguson, that's going to take two or three years. And by that time, Scott McTominay is going to be 28 and probably isn't going to be playing enough football that he wants to. I think for his own sake, he probably needs to start thinking about going somewhere else. Yeah, I get that last point, definitely, especially when there's a club like Newcastle who are willing to pay what United would want and you know it doesn't feel like much of a, a step backwards for McTominay either. Cards on the table. I'm a bit of a Scott McTominay fan, <laughs> I have to say. I love the fact that United are so consistent at giving opportunities to young players who have been with the club through the academy system. I feel like it's a really important part of what makes Manchester United Manchester United. And OK, if he's not as good as some of the players who are starting week in, week out, I still think that that quality of being around the squad, understanding what the club's about and being useful if used in the right way. I mean, I think breaking, I know this is probably a little bit of recency bias considering he has scored four goals in two games for Scotland during the international break, but he does have real quality breaking into the into the box and it's not something that he's been allowed to do very much um, over the years at United. I wonder how much he's been specifically coached into a certain role during his time in the first team as well. It reminds me of an issue that I think Louis van Gaal got really wrong uh, a few years ago when he ripped out the Scott McTominay type of player from United squad. So I'm thinking Johnny Evans, Darren Fletcher, who we've already talked about, people like Raphael, Raphael, yeah, Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck. Yeah, th those sort of players who I think actually played a really important role under Sir Alex Ferguson of just maintaining standards and, and following instructions and doing all the things that you've talked about that, that McTominay does. Andy, what do you think? Every single one of them players was clapped out of United by fans who wanted shiny new signings and they were wrong. Some of those players chose to go under Van Gaal, but it's a good parallel to make. What does Scott McTominay want? I think that's really important. Nicky Butt, when he was playing at Manchester United, wasn't getting enough minutes. In his mind, was better than some of the players who were starting ahead of him and went to Newcastle and played every single week there. I don't think that Scott McTominay is Casemiro class, but I'm totally with you. Uh, I think he's a very good player. I think he showed that. For Scotland against Spain, and has done plenty of times for Manchester United, I remember one of his games against Leeds. He was the best player on the pitch. One of the best individual performances I've seen uh, for a long time. But The best first six minutes I've ever seen yeah. at Old Trafford from a midfield player. <laughs> I think. Leeds conceded goals. Look at this season. Liverpool at Old Trafford, Scott McTominay, 90 minutes. Arsenal at Old Trafford win, Scott McTominay, 90 minutes. It's when you dig into City away, Scott McTominay starting. Arsenal away, 90 minutes because Casemiro couldn't play. That you start to think, and going back to Carl's point here, is he one of the best midfielders in the world? No, he's not. I think he's a, a great talker. I think he's a very good player. I think he's a good professional. I like the fact that he's come through the youth system. And I think he's absolutely got value for Manchester United. 
you might have the idealised 11s with all these wonderful world-class players in, but that is seldom the reality. You need squads and you need players who are prepared to take fewer minutes. And I think that's the most difficult thing for him. He's gone from being first choice to second choice. And I don't think even he would dispute that because look at the players who've, who've come in for him. But positionally for Scotland, the idea of him being box-to-box really intrigues me because he's usually played as a defensive midfielder for Manchester United. Given a straight choice, I'd say stay. But if he wants to be playing a lot more, then I think you'd have to respect that and look at his stats from this year. He's actually played in 32 Manchester United matches. It's not that bad, but he's played like a third of the minutes of as Bruno Fernandes. But then most footballers in Europe have played a further than minutes of Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. If you want to read more about Scott McTominay's future at Manchester United, I'm going to have to move it on because we've got so many other things to talk about. Uh, you can go and look at Carl and Laurie's piece on The Athletic. Remember, there is that offer, £1.99 a month for a year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we weren't supposed to leak future talk into this next section, but that was quite a passionate and impassioned section about McTominay, which I think is really interesting that it, it brings out probably a lot of the, the decision-making process that the club will be going through at the moment. There's a couple more to talk about, actually. David De Gea, we understand, Laurie, that the first offer from Manchester United has been turned down from De Gea. That's not unusual, as you've made clear in your piece on The Athletic, but how easily do you think it will be for the club and the player to find the figure that makes him sign up for a bit longer? Yeah, it's a kind of intriguing one, this, in that um, it's, it's been thought, hasn't it? I mean, De Gea's hinted at it, Ten Hag's hinted at it, that there would be a resolution at some point, but clearly, it, you know, and, and De Gea would take a pay cut. I think he realises that um, when he signed his contract, 375 grand a week, you know, the world's highest paid goalkeeper for uh, since 2019, so four years now. Yeah, I think that, was a, a a very specific set of circumstances that allowed him to get that because he was in his final year of his contract. Alexis Sanchez had, had signed for you know four hundred grand a week plus, and United didn't have anybody else really that they could say, okay, you you go and take the gloves now. You know we, we've got some leverage. So he, he had all the cards. It's a bit different this time because you know United might be able to. Uh, you know, Dean Henderson is still uh, around. He's had a decent loan at Nottingham Forest, but he's out injured at the moment. I think he's due back in sort of three weeks. So there's there's that sort of uh, aspect to it. Or, you know, do they go out and, and sign a goalkeeper? But I do think that Ten Hag has come round to the idea of De Gea being a good servant to him. I think certainly last summer he was quite uh, energised about getting a replacement goalkeeper that could challenge De Gea for sure. And obviously in the end, they had to sort of settle for Martin Dubravka and then it didn't really work out. He went back on, you know, got recalled from his loan in January and then they signed Jack Butland instead. But there's there's not really been anyone to properly push De Gea. But, you know, he still had what I think you'd say anecdotally is a a really good season. I mean, he's pulled off some incredible saves. Um, An absolute highlight reel that perhaps rivals 2017-18. So I think, and and sort of more than that, I think Tenag probably appreciated the maturity that De Gea has and the way he conducts himself. So I think he's bought into, okay, this guy isn't my archetype goalkeeper passing out from the back. Um, maybe he has to go long more often than not. And certainly we saw against Betis, it was very ropey, wasn't it? Any kind of pressure from the front line 
opponents and, and De Gea was was uh, struggling a little bit but there, there's been other occasions where he's, he's gone long and it's it's worked out so I think Ten Hag has come round to the idea is supportive of, of a contract being agreed and it's it's a negotiation now isn't it yeah the player's not going to accept the first offer that Manchester United produce um, but yeah it's it's not been agreed yet so I suppose th- you know, we'll find out in the weeks that go on it's been a fascinating aspect of Ten Hag's season Carl hasn't it the way He's adapted his tactics, it seems, for David De Gea. And actually, if he's coming around to the conclusion that he deserves a new long-term contract, it feels like a a more permanent change than just a compromise, doesn't it? I think there's still going to be a level of compromise. My interpretation of Laurie's very good piece was Ten Hag looking at the squad, taking FFP considerations and looking at a imagined transfer budget and going probably can't fix the goalkeeper situation right now. Let me go and get a striker and others and then we'll sort out replacing De Gea a bit further on. Which I think is reasonable. I'm I'm not expecting Manchester... I'm sorry, Andy. I think the Andy Mitten standard will apply next season, but I'm not expecting one of those trophies to be the Premier League trophy next season yet. So... Upgrading on De Gea can wait a little bit longer compared to upgrading your striker. So I can see why Ten Hag might be open to, to having this negotiation period with David De Gea. However, I will reiterate once again that at some point before the next World Cup, Manchester United will need to get a goalkeeper to come in and play ahead of David De Gea because I, I think eventually Ten Hag will need to play the football he wants to play. You don't go from a goalkeeper like Onana, um, who's now at Inter Milan and you know, got sent home from Cameroon because he played too much <laughs> with his feet to playing with David De Gea. Eventually, eventually you need to have the goalkeeper that can do that sort of thing. I think United's priorities are not with the goalkeeper this summer. I think it's a centre-forward. And I think if United did get a centre-forward, I would expect Manchester United to push for the title next season. David De Gea is a popular member of the dressing room. He's still prepared to learn. He's not someone who's saying, I've got to this age and I know it all. And he knows that he's got to learn because he knows that Ten Hag's style of football, uh, it means that he wouldn't be the type of goalkeeper he would sign. Still an amazing shot stopper. I spoke to one goalkeeper a few weeks ago because I was asked about De Gea. He said too many balls go past him by the side of his legs, which I'd not heard before. But he said his stats are very, very good still. And this was a top goalkeeper person telling me this. So big compromise needed on the contract because, as Laurie said, he benefited from the circumstances at the time. Is he the best goaler in the world? No, he's not. Was he playing for Spain the other night? No, no, he wasn't. But... I think he's grown into it more. This isn't someone angling to get away like he did, although he'd never admit this. In 2015, he wanted to go back to Madrid. He's settled in Manchester now. And I think he's a good goalie. I think he's a, he's a popular lad. And get that sorted out and switch attention to bringing in a centre-forward who's going to score a gazillion goals next year. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, speaking of forwards, he's a forward and he can play centre-forward. Marcus Rashford is another player who is locked in contract talks, it seems, with Manchester United. Laurie, there's yet another piece about a player's future on the Athletic. You can tell it's nearly April. <laughs> um, very quickly, what's the latest on, on Marcus? Because I feel like we're going to be talking about him more and we already have talked about him a lot this season. Yeah, I think they've had uh, initial conversations on uh, a new contract. I think, you know, Certainly, Manchester United want to keep hold of him. He's had an incredible season, and I think you, I think this is now. I think this is his level. I think this is where he can actually really assert himself. You know, free of injury, free of the shadow of Cristiano Ronaldo. I think you tweeted as well that this is the biggest contract of his career, both in terms of potentially the numbers, but also the commitment that he's making for his peak years. I did not tweet that, but that would have been a good tweet. Whoever tweeted that, uh, <laughs> applause to that. Um, I, 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 well, I, th- I tweeted that basically a little detail that we'd found out that last summer uh, PSG, you know, were it was out there, wasn't it, that they were really interested in him. And I think they've had a long-standing interest, certainly when Mauricio Pochettino was manager as well. And th- there were soundings out via his agents about what, 
kind of salary he would he would be getting. Uh, you know, so this is PSG sort of uh, making a proposal, and it was in excess of four hundred thousand pounds a week, which is a hell of a lot of money. You know, Marcus Rashford wanted to stay at Manchester United, and you know, I think that's ultimately what he wants to do. You know, for his future. But nonetheless, it just sort of paints a picture on on what other clubs around Europe value him at. I know Andy's touched on the Barcelona interest, which was really, really strong at one point in his career. So you know, he's he's got these admirers uh, and that are willing to pay good money. So it's not like you know that's then therefore the gauge of what United should offer him at all. Uh, it's different circumstances entirely. But I think it just sort of gives a a bit of context to you know how these talks uh, might go. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's had a, an incredible season, and um, yeah, I think this is this is where he's at right now. Yeah, he's set the record straight on asking for half a million quid as well, hasn't he? Which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rashford gets these sort of things right as well, doesn't he? He's quite right to come out and say that that's rubbish if it's rubbish. I've mentioned rubbish again. Sorry, Rodri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist that. Sorry, I'm actually that, interviewing Rodri on Friday me. as well, so I'm going to have to bite my lip <laughs> when I'm sat opposite him. But it really tickled me, that whole sort of um, post-match interview. Go and have a look on Twitter if you've not seen it already. How happy is he at at United, Carl? It it seems like he's at the happiest he's been. He's at the best he's been. I mean, I know the numbers need to work, but is it any easier decision now than perhaps it was six months ago? Yeah, I think so. I think he has acquitted himself very well and, and has made the most of his opportunity working under a manager like Eric Ten Hag. Um, the way Ten Hag constantly talks about trying to get the ball to Marcus in the right places to help him to help him score goals shows that not only has Marcus, not only is he benefiting from being happier and healthier, but also he's got a manager that goes right. Here's how I increase what you're already good at. Um, so he's he's not having to do as many forty fifty yard ball carries. Uh, and I, you know, I spoke previously about how he doesn't do that angry knuckleball shot, but. It's nice to know he still has it. Um, so, that, so there's that. And yeah, I think now it's just a case of this is a player who I am think he wants to spend the rest of his his peak years or you know the rest of his career at Manchester United. Uh, and he'd, he'd want to be well remunerated for that. Um, and you know the way he's currently playing, providing he doesn't get injured and he providing he keeps on taking on what Eric Ten Hag says, he, he should be worth... 15 plus goals a season, season on season now, which which is good. Um, and if you're a, a forward player that can score that many goals in the Premier League, they aren't cheap anymore. So th- I think that's that's the big conversation now. Uh, it's whether or not you make him your highest paid player or, or you put him on a tier closer to whatever imagined some might come out for David De Gea in this new set of negotiations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that, certainly. Well, if you want to know more about Rashford's future, about De Gea's future, about Scott McTominay's future, about any other Manchester United player's future, because there'll be even more coming, I'm sure, in the weeks to come, you know what to do. Go and have a look at The Athletic. And by now, there'll also be a piece up on The Athletic by Dan Sheldon on Manchester United's latest accounts. We're recording late morning on Thursday, so we've not had a chance to look at them just yet. But we will be discussing the most interesting aspects on next week's podcast. And you can take a look at Dan's article in the meantime. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, before we go any further, we need to give a shout out to Johnny and the lads uh, on the flight deck. <laughs> yes, the flight deck uh, in the RAF flying over to the Falklands. Johnny sent Andy a message 
to say that that's where they listen to Talk of the Devils, which we were all quite astounded about. So mind how you go, lads, and thank you for listening. It's blown our minds, actually, the last couple of weeks with the questions that we asked for and got from all over the place. And it's absolutely brilliant to know that people are enjoying the podcast in literally every corner of the globe or above the globe, as it seems, with uh, with Johnny and his friends. So thank you very much. Full disclosure, we cut out one of the questions that we talked about the other day uh, because there's just so much to get into the last podcast. So Drew Wade's question about whether Manchester United should be worried about the top four race got cut out. Um, so I think we should have the conversation again. So Andy, Carl and Laurie, I'm sorry that uh, we're doing this again, uh, considering you all shared your opinions the other day. But I think it's quite an important point as we come back to Premier League action to debate this. Because Andy, heading to Newcastle, actually, three wins from the last eight Premier League matches for Manchester United. It's been clouded by success in the FA Cup, in the League Cup final, the Europa League. But actually, in isolation, that's not great, is it? It's not great, and it's a huge game at St James's Park. If Newcastle United win, they go above Manchester United. So avoiding defeat is important. And as I said on the last podcast, if you're dropping points at home to Leeds and Southampton, it starts to sting. Got to get some more wins. Eric Ten Hag's been very good at getting wins. I would have taken third at the start of this season, but that third needs to be consolidated. It's about getting in, in the top four, finishing in the Champions League, but Tottenham, despite all the problems, are only a point behind Manchester United. They have played two games more as well, but I'd hate to think that they get a new manager bounce and Sevilla get a new manager bounce and things could get pretty tricky for Manchester United. Liverpool are pretty adrift in Manchester United. Eight points, you'd be surprised if Liverpool close that down, but United need to be winning. There's 12 games left. There's a lot of games. Yeah, Tottenham need a a, a reappointed caretaker assistant manager bounce, don't they? Um, it's a very intriguing situation that they've managed to get themselves into. Brighton are the, the dark horses of the top four fight as well. They've got a lot of games in hand on the teams above them. So they might be a team to keep an eye on in, in future weeks. Although I think if we're at the stage where we're worrying about Brighton in the top four fight, Laurie, we, um, we really should believe in ourselves a bit more. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, uh, Brighton are very smart at recruitment. They've got a good setup. But yeah, I think if United are uh, getting uh, nervous about Brighton breathing down the neck, then yeah, something's wrong. Um, and I, I, I do, I, yeah, I echo what Andy's saying about they've got to make sure that they're not sort of drifting into a bit of a fight. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much turmoil at Tottenham. I mean, you mentioned the the manager bounce, you know, sporting director. You know, they need a new one of them at the moment. It's all up in the air there, isn't it? So, uh, I don't know if that would affect team performance on the pitch. Probably not. You've got Harry Kane. We'll, we'll probably touch on him in, in weeks to come. Uh, but you know, breaking the record for England all time uh, goal scoring. So, I'm sure he'll be you know fired up to try and get Spurs into the Champions League places. But I think United have got enough credit in the bank and a, a sort of good way about them at the moment where they can grind out results. And at Sunday's huge. If, if they can come away from that with a win, I think that sort of sets the tone for the finale of the season. Um, yeah, but uh, St. James's Park will be you know, enlivened and you could, you know, they've got to be on the game because they've actually had a couple of good results in Newcastle in recent weeks. So, um, but yeah, I think that's a pivotal game. Yeah, grind was an interesting word that you used in there, Laurie, because if you read Carl's piece on The Athletic today, grind is pretty much what it's been about in recent weeks, Carl, hasn't it? Do you, how do you see this this playing out? Because this is, I think, potentially the busiest month of Manchester United season with all the matches to come throughout April. Um, some crucial ones in there, of course, as well. And Roy Keane, you've quoted in the piece, um, talking about you know not being totally sure of, of Manchester United's level um, in, in the matches before the international break compared to maybe a couple of months before where it felt like they were really firing. To what extent do you think the compromise will come from Ten Hag on, on his key principles over these games? I think we've already seen the compromises um, from Ten Hag. He, he readily admitted that he wasn't too happy with the performance against Leicester City. That you know, ended up pretty well. Um, but he said, you know, at some point, the performances take a backseat to, to just getting the points on the board. United have to play nine games in April, right? That's knackering just between me, Laurie and Andy trying to, and you trying to find in time to get podcasts up uh, and get to the stadiums and stay in hotels, let alone a player like Luke Shaw, who's presumably going to play at least six of those. Bruno Fernandes will play every minute uh, of all of them. Won't yeah, yeah, right. And, and still be fresh by the end of it, according to Eric Ten Hag. I can totally understand why Roy Keane or other United fans have gone, oh, this is a bit more 
uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer-esque rather than the, the structured play and the counter-pressing that we saw from Eric Ten Hag's team in January. However, I talked to Ten Hag before the international break and I said, look, how are you doing this? You keep talking about, you know, keep using the word process and progress and rules and whatnot, but you're, you've got, you're playing a game every three days. You, you don't have training time anymore. You have to, you basically, you get home, you send them all to sleep for 15 hours and then you wheel them out, see who's got a knock and you, you make them play football again. Uh, and he said, he basically now treats football games like exams for all the stuff we're doing. Um, you know, I think, I think they're probably now doing more video work and more classroom work. Um, I am quite confident Man United finishing in the top four places. I will be more confident when Casemiro comes back from his suspension. But I think, I think they're in the driver's seat for third place. And okay, I can see a, a big old scrap and ding dong between Newcastle, Spurs and Liverpool for fourth. But United, if United don't finish third, something bad would have gone wrong. Uh, and that something bad might be a Casemiro suspension again or a Bruno Fernandes injury. But I, I can't see that sort of confluence of bad things happening all at the same time. I think the real dark horse is Brighton and FA Cup semi-final. That's a slightly more concerning thing. Okay, well, we'll worry about that a bit nearer the time. There's about 4,000 matches <laughs> to get through till we get to that semi-final. Um, Andy, in terms of the match then this weekend at St. James's Park, it's another test for United without Casemiro. Obviously, the initial ban at Arsenal would be the biggest test considering that they're the league leaders. But the matches since, United have been fairly fortunate that it's not been sort of really tricky ties that Casemiro has missed. But but I think this will be a, a real test of Manchester United's midfield without him. How, how do you see the midfield shaping up and how do you see United faring without Casemiro this weekend? Lad called um, Scott McTominay box-to-box midfielder, scoring two goals. <laughs> we should talk about him. It's a huge game and Newcastle are going to, are going to be vengeful after what happened at Wembley. Definitely. And Definitely. I thought they played really well at Old Trafford, actually, in that draw. One of the few teams to take points from Old Trafford this year. Casemiro would be in any Manchester United fans' idealised eleven. And it's a, it's a very tough match. I think McTominay, for him to start with with Fred, I don't know how long the manager persists without Vegost in front. Um, Bruno, he switches him in positions a couple of times. I know he played very well on the right in the Manchester derby, for example. So I've seen some horror shows at Newcastle in recent years for Manchester United. Some of the worst performances, uh, there was a defeat, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when I actually messaged someone on the coach back and I'm pretty optimistic, you know what I'm like, I said, this is horrendous. And the reply I got back was, the toolbox ain't overflowing with talent at the moment. And I thought, Manchester United have got massive, massive problems here. And then last season was a shocker as well. They'd won one game, I think, in the first 19 and then pulled out a performance which shows he can do it and 52,000 will be there on Sunday. 48,000 of them will be home fans. They are going to be so up for it. I think it's going to be a a huge game because it's all right saying we're in the driving seat for the Champions League and that's absolutely right, but wouldn't be in it if we lost the game on Sunday. Hang on, hang on. I'm I'm just going to get the line-up from that Mm. game in 2019. Yeah, that was it. I remember looking at that lineup recently and going, (laughs) blimey. How things have changed. That was, yeah. So this was... What October 2019? Can we guess it? Yeah, go on. I think did Brandon Williams play? No, no. Oh. Uh, the left back was not Brandon Williams, and it wasn't Luke Shaw. This is October 2019. Uh, that's pre Tellers then as well, isn't it? I think Andreas Pereira played. I think Delo played. Uh, yeah, you got Andreas Pereira. You got Diogo Dalo. De Gea is in goal, obviously. Longstaff scored. De Gea is in goal. The, the headlines were about him you know, earning 200 quid a week or something. Yep. Yeah. This is this is the Matty Lungstaff 1-0 victory. McTominay got her played. McTominay's in there, yep. Yeah. And he's next to Fred. Rashford, I think Rashford played. Rashford. Rashford's up front. Would you like to guess who's playing as number 10? Is that not Pereira now? No. Mikatarian? No. Bobby Charlton? <laughs> it's Juan Mata. <laughs> wow. Oh, he didn't play 10. Yeah. Juan Mata. Uh, you've got Dan James on the left wing and your left back is the club captain Ashley Young? Oh wow! wow. Oh, of course. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want an idea of how far United have come from there, there you go. There's your lineup, and also the fact that 1920 Manchester United did 
end up finishing in the Champions League spaces, albeit it took a 110-day break to get Paul Pogba in the main match back. But, you know, <laughs> you know. Bruno Fernandes helped things as well, didn't he? Towards the end yeah, of that. yeah, just the scooch. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I should have got Ashley Young. We've been talking about him this morning. If you're wondering why my sound is maybe a little bit different than normal, I'm actually sat in a hotel just near Aston Villa's training ground because I was interviewing John McGinn this morning. I'm not here at the Belfry to confirm Harry Maguire's move to Aston Villa, (laughs) as has been the accusations in the past. So, aggregators, please don't take that as anything that should be published. But that is not the most exciting story about a journey. Is it a journey? I'm going to do it anyway that one of us has had this week. Andy Mitten, you are working on a piece that may have dropped, actually, by the time this podcast reaches people's ears, about Jordi Croix's trip to Manchester. Tell us a little bit more. We've teased it a bit on the podcast, haven't we? But let's tease it a little bit more because it is pretty unique. It's on The Athletic on Friday. I really enjoyed it. So I said goodbye to a lad called Laurie Whitwell (laughs) in Seville. I took a long train trip to Barcelona and I met Jordi Croix at Barcelona Airport. And it was really interesting just traveling with someone who's hugely famous in Barcelona. But then we got on a Ryanair and Jordi doesn't normally fly on Ryanair. So we sit down, the plane's packed and there's a lot of Liverpool fans on it. They've been at Madrid just as they got knocked out of Europe this season, the world's greatest team. They're in a good mood then. And one of them, I thought, here we go. One of them looks at me and goes, you're a journalist, aren't you? And I went, yeah. And he said, um, I've just been at, at Liverpool. I mates with Tony Barrett from Liverpool Football Club. And Tony's like Liverpool's fan liaison lad. He's a, he's a really good lad. He's a, he's a good scout. So he's a good Liverpool fan. And he's actually the man who gave us Andrew Robertson's match shirt from the 2019 Champions League final. When we did that bike ride Barcelona to Manchester to buy some ambulances in Manchester, we got £5,000 for that shirt. And that was down to Tony Barrett. And a bit of a leap of faith for him to give us that, given I, I'm not associated with... Liverpool. Why not? And and the, <laughs> the lad who brought it is. And uh, I said, look, 5,000, this is great. We're going to, you know, that's going to go a long way towards an ambulance. Come over to Old Trafford. I said, I'll introduce you to, to Ryan Giggs and to Gary Neville and to Andy Cole. And he told me where to go. He just said, F off. Why on earth would I want to meet them? <laughs> and I love that. I love and um, he paid the money and, and that was fantastic. So this Liverpool fan, is sat talking to me. And in between us is Geordie Cruyff, but the Liverpool fan doesn't recognise him. And the Liverpool fan was called Chris. He was he was absolutely sound. I respected him. I felt I had a lot of common with him. And after about an hour, because Geordie was joining in the conversation, because, you know, he's the boss of Barcelona. He's a sports director. He's a serious man. <laughs> and Chris says to him, you in, you involved in football yourself, mate. And Geordie goes, he just nods. And I said, um, I said, Chris, this lad has scored a goal against your club in a European final. And Chris goes home and away with Liverpool. He knows his stuff and he couldn't recognise him. And then the penny dropped and he went, Cruyff, innit? Cruyff. <laughs> and then it was like, got to have a picture with you. <laughs> <laughs> recognise him a minute ago and now he wants a selfie. That is modern life, isn't it? Summed up completely. I guess Jordi Cruyff needed hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, Andy, to be recognised. I guess that was his issue. <laughs> Going through Barcelona Airport with Jordi was very interesting because he's a very senior person there, but he's also the son of Johan Cruyff, who's idolised in Barcelona still. And just seeing the passport control, look at him and one of, one of them goes, son of. That was it. And I thought, you could take that either way, you know? Because Jordi, in his own right, was a very successful footballer and he's been successful in management and coaching. But to see him go back to Manchester, to meet people like Roy Keane and Nicky Butt and and Paul Scholes, it was really enjoyable because he didn't like it when he lived in Manchester. He couldn't understand why young players were put on the outskirts of the city mm. in big houses surrounded by old people when he'd been living in Barcelona. It just it baffled him. And Had he not seen it, Manchester City Centre in 1996? Well, he actually talks about that because it had just been a big bomb there. Well, that too, yeah. I wasn't referring to that, but yes. He talks about the changes and how cosmopolitan it's come and how he told the Barcelona players two months ago, this is Manchester now, this is Old Trafford, this is what it means. And lovely just to travel with him as a journalist and see his return to open a Cruyff court. It's fantastic in Little Hull and proper Salford and... Well, read it. It's on The Athletic. You know, a lot of work goes into that type of stuff. 
But yeah, it was really funny when uh, Chris didn't recognise him. Please tell me you can lord this over uh, Jordi from from here into eternity that you are more famous than he is in certain circumstances. So Liverpool fans. <laughs> I think if you're me getting recognised by Liverpool fans, it's normally all right. I went to Liverpool Villarreal last year and three lads were clocking me behind the away end from Kirby, which is proper scouts. And I thought, here we go. And one of them goes, uh, Andy, innit? And I was like, yeah. And they were sound with me. And they followed their team like me and my friends follow our team. They follow them home and away. And we agree to disagree on stuff and... They they were they were good lads, but it would only take one idiot, wouldn't it? It's all fun and games until Andy has to go to Bournemouth away this season. Yeah, I feel bad. <laughs> what I love not like to be Andy <laughs> going down to the former stadium down as Dean. Cole. I can't believe how like people now say to me like I like Bournemouth making his way around the the, the packed side streets, thinking, "Well, I'd, I wish these weren't here. <laughs> yeah. I wish these people didn't live here, so this stadium could be increased." And I wish that beautiful cricket field wasn't being enjoyed by those people playing cricket. I've got no problem with yeah. Bournemouth. I've got to say it now on the record because well, people you know are now getting on that. the case asking me what my issue is with Bournemouth. I had you stopped eating <laughs> cherries, is that true? <laughs> nice place. Went to watch them a couple of years ago and walked along the front, had a nice ice cream, started talking to um, this lad called Mark Pugh who played for him, who, who's a Manchester United fan. It's like a dietitian thing now on... I made a proper knob out myself that night. So Bournemouth's press officer come up to us and he's a Manchester United fan. This often happens. I'm sure we can all relate to this. We've had it this season. And he says, um, I'll put you in touch with the goalkeeper. So I start speaking to this goalkeeper. And in my mind, I've got the wrong goalkeeper. And I start asking him questions, thinking he was another goalkeeper. Do you want to admit this? And he's just looking at me. Yeah. I mean, it was just very sporadic. Because a minute ago, you were... You were talking about your respect for Bournemouth and now you're not even... So I'm talking to Bournemouth's goalkeeper thinking it's a different goalkeeper and he's just like... It was just sprung upon me. I'm not an expert on Bournemouth's reserve goalkeepers. But yeah, I uh, I got it badly wrong and walked away. And he must have just been thinking, what a clown. <laughs> but Mark, Mark Pugh is very nice. Well, if you want to read Andy's article about Jordi Cruyff, maybe not his work on Bournemouth. You know what to do. Go to The Athletic. Um, all our best Manchester United writing is on there. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for £1.99 a month for the first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy, Carl, Laurie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for listening at home and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.